0: We're talking about it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott
1: Thompson on 900CHML. Hey, it's Hamilton Today. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Will Weber is on the board. Will Erskine booking the guests. In the newsroom, Dino Weeks. Rest in peace, Queen Elizabeth, after a 70-year reign. By the time I'm her age... William's kid will be on the throne. Here's God.
2: It may be William's kid's kid by that time. Who knows? Uh, good afternoon. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. The gang's all here. Uh, and it is the funeral of the Queen today. Uh, obviously very, very early this morning. Some of you uh, got up for it. Uh, others didn't. And it's it. boy, it just continues. The Canadian ceremony in Ottawa. It just wrapped up, uh, I'd say, about an, less than an hour ago. It was about 2.15 when uh, we finally saw uh, people coming out of uh, uh, Christ Cathedral in Ottawa, where Brian Mulroney, former Prime Minister Brian Mulroney spoke, uh, former Governor General uh, Adrian Clarkson and such. So um, uh, yeah, as soon as things started to uh, uh, to dissipate, uh, London time, then uh, it fired up uh, here in Ottawa. And about I guess twelve o'clock hour, just shortly thereafter, uh, the memorial uh, and parade and such uh, of colors and military, which looked very uh, very good, very cool, and uh, right into uh, the church and of course the service going on there, which uh, lasted about an hour so. So uh, fascinating day and um, yeah, there it is. Is it over? <laughs> it's amazing uh, how long this has been and what a process. But it is history and we have to realize that this is 70 years this uh, uh, woman reigned and my goodness uh, uh, to think of that and, and to think of the, the point in history where we are right now is, um, is fascinating and it's something that uh, we'll all look back on. Anyway, As I mentioned, uh, funeral services uh, very early this morning in London. We're going to play you uh, a couple of clips here and then from uh, what was said here in Ottawa at uh, the Canadian Memorial. Here's uh, the Dean of Windsor, uh, David Cornell.
3: We have come together to commit into the hands of God the soul of his servant, Queen Elizabeth, here in St. George's Chapel where she so often worshiped, we are bound to call to mind someone whose uncomplicated yet profound Christian faith bore so much fruit.
2: And the the ceremony itself, the funeral itself, lasted uh, less than an hour. Um But obviously, everything, the uh, pomp and pageantry, the tradition that goes on uh, before and after has, uh, you know, stretched this out to 10 days, kind of like, you know, what it is to take a flight out of uh, Toronto Airport. But anyway, I digress. Uh, you know, a fascinating day, a fascinating end to what has been uh, 10 days of mourning. Here's Global's Ben O'Hara Byrne and his perspective.
4: The cleanup crews are already hard at work, the miles of fencing are coming down, and the streets around Westminster Abbey and Buckingham Palace are slowly starting to reopen. After years of planning and just days to execute the Queen's state funeral, the arrival and departure of hundreds of world leaders and the largest security operation in the city's history appears to have all gone as smoothly as could have been hoped. But as the public events draw to a close, though, a period of royal mourning continues for another week, a time for the Queen's family to grieve away from the spotlight. In London, I'm Ben O'Hara Byrne.
2: And uh, former Prime Ministers Joe Clark and Brian Mulrooney in attendance this afternoon in Ottawa at the ceremony here. Here's what Brian Mulroney had to say.
5: The role of the monarchy, and in particular the irreplaceable role played by Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, for 70 years was absolutely indispensable in
2: our country's hugely impressive achievements. And former Governor General Adrian Clarkston.
6: She held the course to the end, focused, dutiful, calm, the essence of equanimity. Like her remarkable mother and her heroic father, her life was guided by intention. So this
2: is uh, finishing off. A, uh, I guess the service ended about 2.15 this afternoon and the military parade and, and such started it just afternoon and then made its way uh, to uh, Christ Cathedral in Ottawa, where all of this uh, has taken place just previously, immediately following uh, the services uh, and such in uh, in London, England. And while well, all of this was going on just a couple of days ago in a uh, London hotel, here's what the Prime Minister was doing.
3: Does this guy run right. a party or what?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Jagermeisters for everybody. Oh, man. And, uh, you know, some are going, who cares? Look at the guy. I mean, you know, he's one of us. Just like the guy who paused for a selfie on the steps of the funeral church for... Uh, the honorable Jim Flaherty when he passed away. Uh, you know, I, 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 it, 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 it. It's either that or surfing, right? So what are you going to get? I don't think anybody's surprised here, but we'll, uh, we'll throw it out there because it seems it's, uh, once again, if you're on one side, it's fabulous. If you're other, it's absolutely disgusting. Personally, uh, doesn't matter to me. Nothing here we haven't seen before. Uh, but yeah, should the prime minister, uh, have uh, shown more decorum? Instead of in a T-shirt singing in the lobby of a London hotel, Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, just a couple of days before uh, (laughs) the funeral. All right. Uh, Can we hear that again? Is it possible to hear that again? leave it at that. And, you know, send us a note. Scott Thompson, 900CHML.com. Sam's on the line. Sam, what are your thoughts? The Prime Minister in a hotel lobby, uh, you know, I don't know what the big deal is. Is anybody really surprised, I guess? Uh, In a hotel lobby with a T-shirt on, singing Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody. Appropriate, inappropriate for the time.
7: Hey, Scott, probably it was not his smartest move. Um, I think we should all be at a point now where we recognize that he is an embarrassment, and he will continue to be an embarrassment, but really, was this such a big deal? Does this have to be part of a 24-hour news cycle? Does this, uh, are, are we not putting our energies
8: into the wrong things?
2: Well, we you could say we're just following the leader, but, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess if you want to separate yourself from it all, absolutely, they are certainly, there are certainly bigger fish to fry, Sam, certainly agree with that.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
2: There was many, much debate after the Queen passed away whether this should be a stat holiday or not. Uh, the Prime Minister immediately came out and gave, uh, didn't make it a full stat holiday, but it certainly, uh, federal employees and the government had it off. However, banks and big businesses and federally, federally regulated uh, big business and such would still be working, which kind of pretty much sets the tone. And then it took a piecemeal approach across provinces. Those on the east, uh, the Maritime Provinces uh, chose to Uh, shut her down, declare a holiday and give the kids a day off school in the middle, uh, not so much and then out in BC, where they've been getting a bit of flack for it as well uh, the schools uh, were in fact closed, many saying, well who's going to get up at 3am to watch the funeral, the kids certainly aren't, so what is the position on this, should there be some sort of plan so when this sort of stuff does happen, and I mean, you know, my goodness uh, for someone like the Queen, this could pretty much have been drawn up about, what, 20 years ago? Uh, Let's bring in Annie Kidder, executive director of People for Education. She is with us now. Annie, as always, thanks for your time. Hope you're well.
6: I am. Thank you very much, Scott. I hope you are, I'm, too.
2: Yes, thanks so much. I'm sure you're being asked a bazillion times, should kids have this off or not? What's the advantage to both? Ugh. Pros, cons?
6: I don't I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not sure the holiday is the point, the sort of learning around what happened. So, um, I think it's... Um, well, okay, I'll give an opinion. Uh, next week, next uh, week, september 30th it's a national day for truth and reconciliation a very particular canadian day it is also a national holiday and not a provincial one and i think that marking uh, a day like that and then and talking about it a lot before beforehand uh, might be as important i'm not going to get into trouble with the you know some people think we should all be taking the day off with the Queen? Other people don't, yeah. but I think that there are days that um, are worth marking, um, and that the September thirtieth one definitely would be one of those. Uh,
2: situation in BC: They've decided to keep. They decided to keep the kids out. Some were upset that thought, you know, well, they're, they're not really going to be acknowledging it. Whereas, as we've watched today, I mean, it's the the, the coverage has been nonstop, continuous, uh, just even post funeral uh, coverage. Uh, is this something that? Um, you know, should it be up to the government of the day to say, you know, you should offer a moment of silence, you should at least teach what is going on?
6: Well, I think that, and I do think that's the most important conversation, not whether or not it's a holiday. And I think that any historic event is an opportunity for teaching. So we have lots of them. Um, You know, people do die, that is, that's a fact also. Mm -hmm. Um, But if we look at the history of the monarchy in Canada, it's an incredibly important part of our history of our constitution, which we finally repatriated. Um, it's also an incredibly important part and a damaging part of what was done through colonialism. So mm-hmm. there are many, many things to look at when we think about what the monarchy means, um, what the what the common wealth means, what it meant, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago when England was a sort of international superpower, and the impact of that, uh, of colonization on many, many countries, including Canada, including on the people who lived in Canada first. Um, So there are lots and lots of things that can be talked about, and they can be talked about from the very early grades all the way up with, you know, lots of opportunity for sort of, for complexity.
2: It's our history. Um, uh, yep. Interesting, uh, York Regional uh, District School Board announced uh, a couple of days after the passing of the Queen that they will not be participating. They discouraged people from uh, playing any music or have any imagery. Uh, and all of this sort of thing in, in due to the fact that it could trigger those who may have suffered some sort of loss or relation in relation or not relation, uh, to it. Obviously, there was lots of public backlash and they quickly reversed their, st- uh, their stance today. Uh, they tweeted today, today the York Regional District School Board will be participating in a moment of silence. Um, reflection at 1 p.m. Uh, to honor Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth and her legacy of sco- uh, service. Schools will be also engaging in activities that include learning about the contr- uh, contributions made by the Queen. Uh, sh- your, your your thoughts on what happened here and and the change of position?
6: Well, and again, you know, I'm not I'm not going to comment on what any board yeah. or even any province did, but I do think it's important and it's an incredibly important part of of education. Uh, that we talk about current events, that, you know, especially because we live in a world now where there's so much misinformation and so much mm-hmm. kind of polarizing, all the stuff that you get in your social media feeds, even when you're really little, uh, mm-hmm. that it's incredibly important that we talk about what's going on. We can't assume everybody feels the same way. Um, we can't, and we can't assume, you know, that everybody should. Uh, you know, or wants to honor the queen in the same way. But we can assume of our education systems, uh, that we have these conversations and that we learn about this and that we, that we understand, uh, the impact of history and, and the ongoing impact. Um, of things like like the monar- monarchy. So I think it's, a, you know, it's one of those things. It's a, it is a learning opportunity. Um, and it should definitely be used as that. And I think that, uh, you know, in Canada, it's, it's, yeah, it's an incredibly important part of our history. Not all completely a good part of our history mm, either, no, but, no. <laughs> you know, our history is a mixed bag. Be-
2: well said. Annie Kidder with us, Executive Director of People for Education on the Day and how we teach it moving forward. Annie, as always, thanks so much for your time. Be well.
6: Thank you. You too. When there's an issue,
1: Scott is all in on getting to the heart of it. This is Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CXM.
2: Alright, let's move on. Uh, you might remember, uh, way back when, when this, uh, before the 10 days of mourning actually all started, we stopped, we talked to, uh, Saad Salman, Royal Commentary, founder and editor of the Royal Watcher. And if I'm correct, he, he was actually in London visiting the day that the announcement went up that the Queen had actually passed away. So now that things have come full circle here, uh, I want to bring Saad back in and get his uh, his take. Saad Salman with his Royal Commentator, Founder, Editor of the Royal Watcher. Saad, thank you so much for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hi, thank you for having me on today. So uh, you were there. Is that accurate? Is that correct at the beginning when, when it just happened to be there the day that uh, the notice went up that she had passed? Yes.
8: I was inside Buckingham Palace, actually, when it was announced. I had It was my first trip to the palace, and I was visiting the exhibition inside when, by this major coincidence, since I've been covering the royal family for years, uh, it was announced that the queen had passed away.
2: What an incredible story to be there, and I remember talking to you then and, and you explaining and, and just giving us the, uh, the feeling of what it was like in London. I know you were there for a while. You didn't stay for the funeral, but were there for, for quite a few days. Talk about uh, the tone of the week and, and what your thoughts are now that this has done full circle.
8: I think the past 10 days have been such a kind of moving and emotional, not just for the Royal Family, but for lots of people around the world, I think. The major thing is that the queen uh, died in Balmoral Castle in Scotland, and then there was such an outpouring of grief when her body was transported across Scotland down to Edinburgh for the first lying in state at St Giles Cathedral, and people lined the six-hour route from the Balmoral to Edinburgh. There was lined with people then in Edinburgh. There was a huge crowd, and then when she arrived in London, there were unprecedented numbers of people that have come out to her lying in state. People have been lining up for. 24, 25 hours even just to be able to pay their final respect to the queen. And so I think the outpouring of grief has been so unexpected and unprecedented that it was difficult to um, kind of predict that when she passed away.
2: What about crowd reaction because sometimes it was quite jovial people were chatting with people as they were lining up for hours uh you know professional soccer player david beckham lined up for 12 hours and such and 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 then we saw at times when uh, for example a procession went by dead silence you could hear a pin drop other times there were cheering how do you explain the different responses from uh the public over the course of the week
8: um, I think uh, there was a general kind of sense of sadness, but at the same time, people were there to kind of celebrate and honor the Queen's legacy, her long life, and her years as the Sovereign. I was in the crowd on one of the days when the coffin was transferred from Buckingham Palace to Westminster Hall, and I stood in the crowd for a couple of hours, and I think the sense of community that you build, just being in that experience, you interact with the people around you, and I made lots of kind of long-standing friendships with people that i had never met before and we were able to come together we had some laughter some tears and i think it was a really good bonding experience for not just the people in the uk but kind of around the world who were covering this or in following the events in the queen's death
2: uh you know we heard uh, over the course of the week and such reports saying um ukers don't mind lining up they don't mind standing in the queue explain that what does that mean it, yeah, you know maybe compared to us who are making me less um, patient?
8: Definitely, yeah, no. Um, I this kind of societal thing comes from Second World War when there were so many shortages that people in the UK had to queue for everything, and that's become mm. kind of a national uh, identity marker where people, you British people, just love to use, uh, queue, and they are used to standing in line for everything, and they find kind of a sense of order in that. We've seen kind of celebrities like David Beckham who got lots of kind of admiration and he was celebrating the media for standing in line for all those hours at the same time people who have used special favors to skip the queue they have gone less favorable attention and they are being canceled on social media so I think it's a very much societal thing where I at the same time as a Canadian did not really understand that aspect because I lined up for a few hours I saw the queen I saw the coffin I saw the royal family and I thought that was kind of more than enough for me and I didn't Really see the need in lining up for all the hours, but I think for many people they felt that that was the only way they could pay their respects.
2: I remember one of the headlines, uh, and we saw this in the in the UK media as well: too long, too costly, too drawn out. To this, was it too long, or is this just history? And this what this is what happens when you get someone who's been there for seventy years?
8: I think that uh, the Queen's funeral has been planned and this kind of format since the 1960s. So the world has changed, but the funeral itself, the way it was carried out was to ensure that maximum number of people could have an interaction with the queen and the funeral and the processions and the lines and state. it really allowed for people to come together in a sense. It was drowned out in the sense of, I feel, in the media coverage where it was the topic of every news story 24 hours a day which we are not necessarily used to for kind of 10 days in a row but at the same time there were things happening that kind of paid tribute to her life and legacy and we will likely not see a funeral of this scale again.
2: Uh obviously when anything like this happens although certainly not the passing of a queen of Queen Elizabeth or a wedding or someone passes or such there's always chatter about the relevance of the monarchy should we have it should we not have it uh, the Prime Minister has spoke out and said look this is this is an incredibly difficult process to uh, undo and I think uh, y- you know basically Canadians have other other priorities right now do you think this uh, uh, because of what has happened has uh, put Canadians in a question to or even those around the world to question whether this is worth it or have has the opposite happened is has this drawn us together and made us more supportive of this
8: I think um, kind of in a sense, Um, there's both kind of sides to this. In one sense, it has really drawn people together, and we live in a very divisive world with politics, and the Queen was one of those figures that was just a constant, and she was neutral, and um, she united people in a sense that politicians don't. So people do see some positives in retaining this sort of system of a monarchy where you have a head of state like that. At the same time, um, I think the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern, said that it's a gradual process, especially if other countries kind of distancing themselves from having a British or a foreign head of state of countries that they do not reside in. So Mm
3: -hmm. it
8: is definitely going to be a process that there's no immediate kind of need for it or it's not kind of the most pressing, pressing issue of the day. But eventually people do feel that in the next few decades, maybe even a century, it will be a slow transition towards a different future.
2: Yeah, good point. I mean, the world's just going to continue to evolve. Saad Salman with us, Royal Commentator, founder and editor of The Royal Watcher. Saad, thanks so much for uh, sharing your journeys with us. Much appreciated. Be well. Safe travels. Thank
9: you. I know that what Canadians expect me to focus on is economy, cost of living, inflation challenges, housing crisis, the need to step up in the fight against climate change and create good jobs into the future, continue work on reconciliation with Indigenous peoples. These are the things that Canadians have uh, told me are their priorities. These are the things I will continue to focus on.
2: And uh, kudos to the Prime Minister for coming out quite early in this discussion and kind of putting an end to it uh, right away. (laughs) Because, uh, you know, before, uh, well, it has been a 10-day ceremony, but uh, long before it all ended, the debate started about whether the monarchy is, is... Uh, as, um, you know, a part of our lives now as it once was? Is it something we should move on from? Um, Should we cut it down? Should we reduce? Da-da-da-da-da. And most of the people who are having this discussion, we've talked about this earlier, don't really know what's involved in doing that. And it requires... Uh, the majority of provinces, territories, the Senate, uh, House of Commons, all to agree, and, and we can't agree on fixing health care. So you can see how sticky that might be. So for the Prime Minister to come out and say, you know, do you want to open up the Constitution or, or try to fix the everyday issues of uh, of Canadians, I think he's he's chosen to do the latter. Uh, I, I don't think this. I think this is something that, that continues. I think the discussion continues. I think that's something that we will continue to have as Canada evolves, and I'm sure long after my life is over. So, uh, but at this point in time, it just uh it, it just doesn't seem to be the issue. That uh, although some Canadians, well, in a recent poll, a lot of Canadians said, "Yeah, let's get rid of this." But again, I'm I'm not sure they're aware of what has to be done in order to make. That happen, and it's not quite as easy as some of the Caribbean countries that we've seen uh, on all of this. Let's bring in Henry Jasick, Professor of Political Science, McMaster University. He's with us now. Henry, thanks for the time. I hope you're well. I'm well, Scott. Thank you. Good idea for the Prime Minister to kind of get out in front of this and 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 try not to use it as a distraction, and we move forward with what is uh, concern of Canadians.
7: I think probably a good idea, and then you know if he's really you know not uh, you know representing what a lot of people. In Canada, one about this issue, that he, 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 you know, that he'll listen for it to see if if we get a uh, reaction to it. But if we, if you know, if people don't react to what he said, then it tells me that he's sort of on the, the wavelength of the Canadian people.
2: So you think this is a bit of a trial balloon?
7: It may be. I mean, it. Uh, he may basically, you know, real, you know, have a firm view about about the issue. But it's also a way for him to, by talking about it, and early on, he he often tests to see whether you know what, what kind of reaction he gets. So, I mean, politicians often do that. You know, it, that that's very common to do because they, you know, I think the smart politicians realize why should I be working on things that people really don't care about.
2: Uh, And, you know, I think another thing we're realizing as we delve more into this issue is that it's not necessarily a black and white, a night and day, uh, this or that issue. I mean, it's very, very complex. So this will probably be something, as it has done in the past, evolve over time as we move forward.
7: It's quite possible. I mean, first of all, people have to understand what the I mean, what the head of the state is uh we have you know uh, you know the queen is the head of the state and of course she appoints a governor general well she appoints on the recommendation the prime minister governor general and that person is the head of the state and the person who's the head of the state has a number of responsibilities and uh you know we're always i, ca- I can't see how our government would ever operate without a head of a state and so we have to say okay uh, you want to get rid of the monarchy but who uh, you know what's what's the what's the other alternative, and do you think that that'll work? And I I'm not so sure that people want to engage in that sort of discussion, but I may be wrong.
2: Uh, do you think that uh, this depends on who is the king? In other words, because mm-hmm. somebody, and it may have been you, that it had suggested that th- there may be those that aren't as happy with King Charles as they were Queen Elizabeth, but are more than happy to wait for Prince William to make his way through.
7: Yeah, I, I think I think it does matter uh, about who is the who's the monarch. Uh, maybe even more so, the quality of the people who are appointed into the you know governor general and lieutenant governor positions. Uh, those are also very important, you know, considerations. Uh, I mean, if we were getting uh, a whole series of governor generals and. And you know, and uh, lieutenant governors for the for the provinces, and they were not good people. Then then I could fee, then I could see people saying, okay, we've got to try a different system. But you know, I don't. I generally I don't think people are going to complain about the type of uh, in in general. Occasionally, you know, some are not as good as others, but I think people are not going to generally say, oh God, our governor generals have been horrible, or our lieutenant governors have been horrible. So we sh- we need something else. I I just. I don't. I don't see that people are upset about that.
2: All right, can't let you go, Henry. Without getting your take on uh, social media, a buzz with the prime minister at a piano, Bohemian Rhapsody, Queen uh, in Quebec before the Canadian delegation left for London. Are we making too much about none- anything, or is this just more of the same? What are your thoughts? Do we care?
7: Well, you can you can you can pick a lot of little things to to criticize. You know, leaders about. I I don't. You know, it doesn't seem to be important to me. And, uh, you know, I, again, I don't think probably most Canadians think it's an important thing.
2: Henry Jacek with us, professor of political science, McMaster University, about uh, the chatter and debate around uh, cutting ties to the monarchy. Uh, the prime minister speaking out that it's uh, quite a big process and he's got bigger fish to fry. Henry, as always, uh, thanks for the time. Be well. Okay, very good. Nice talking again. <laughs>
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today Podcast from 900 CHML.
2: Love to bring in Alyssa Freeman because not only is she a PR and pop uh, culture expert, Alyssa PR, you know, but also a royal watcher and always looking for her take on this sort of thing. She's with us now. Alyssa, thanks for the time. I hope you're well.
1: Well, I'm a little tired, Scott.
2: (laughs) Did you watch the whole thing?
1: Well, I did get up at 5.
10: Ooh, so, yeah.
1: I know. Well, how could I disappoint you? I thought, if I'm talking to Scott today, and I didn't know at 5 a.m. if I would be. I didn't want to disappoint you by saying I didn't watch the thing. So I I'm appreciate
2: that, Alyssa. you doing that just for us. I really appreciate it. One thing I wanted to ask <laughs> uh, from for to get your PR prowess on this, uh, because we talked about this last week, that the York Regional School Board had said that uh, not only are they not going to play the funeral or anything, they don't want you doing anything in regard to showing imagery, music, or the funeral, uh, anything to do with the Queen's funeral, because they were worried it was going to trigger negative uh, feelings, emotions uh, in the kids. I woke up this morning, and I got this tweet on my phone um uh, wrong one sorry wrong side here it is right here uh today the york regional district school board will be participating in a moment of silence uh, of reflection one o'clock in honor of her majesty queen elizabeth's legend uh, legacy of service schools will also engage in activities that include learning about the contributions uh, made by the queen your thoughts on that arriving on our twitter feed
1: this morning before school well, what a shocker. You know, I, th- I, think, I think that there was something that actually came out of Stephen Lecce's office that said, uh, no, everybody can talk about the Queen or should talk about the Queen or will be talking about the Queen. And no board is exempt to do that. So, I mean, Honestly, Scott, you and I would love to be the fly on the wall, in this case, on that conversation that went yeah. to the supervisor or to whomever. But really, how ridiculous. And now they're backpedaling like, oh, nothing ever happened. Like, I'm looking at the same tweet that you did. And um, I'm trying to see if they they actually put out a number of tweets, to the York Region Board. But I'm trying to see that um, if they actually... Uh, If if they actually took down that original tweet, it was it was from four days ago From a CP24 reported that um, Stephen Lecce said that all school board uh, boards will be honoring the queen. So there you go. So is this
2: enough for the York Region District School Board to correct their wrong or, you know, again, going back to the beginning of this? You have to ask yourself what kind of culture makes this kind of decision. I mean, we even had Annie Kidder on People for Education, and it's like you cannot, and you were professors from universities, you cannot deny a chance to learn about something, especially on that specific day. So over and above, great, you corrected your mistake, but shouldn't something happen as a result of this? There, there may needs to be some changes here.
1: Well you know now that Stephen Lecce has actually pointed them out as being these ridiculous outliers, I think that they are really under scrutiny the York Region District School board. So as a result they're going to have to watch their P's and Qs and every other letter of the alphabet as far as I'm concerned. So I mean the aft and and then the story also continued to blow up because I believe that it was chorus that started putting this on on their feeds first and then the other um, networks started chiming in especially After Stephen Lecce made sort of a cause celebre around it. And uh, as a result, they had more negative media even after you and I more or less broke the story. Mm -hmm. So this has really been a black mark, a failing grade, if you will, on Wire DSB. And I think that all their decisions will, they they need to have somebody like a woke police for the woke police or the unwoke police on all their future decisions for fear of, um, you know. So now they're a bit of a lightning rod, right?
2: Let's move on because they did apologize. I want to ask you about the uh, prime minister coming out because there's been lots of debate about the relevancy, the relevance of the monarchy. We we talked about this yesterday. That you know, if any half these people don't even have any idea of what it takes to get rid of it. In other words, full uh, uh, everybody has to agree from the provinces, territories, um, Senate, and the House of Commons, and we can't get anything done with healthcare. So this ain't going to happen. The prime minister did speak up and say. We're this is not a priority for us. And and if you're really going to do this, it takes an incredible amount of energy and it's messy because you're reopening the Constitution. And that's not where Canadians are right now. Smart for him to get out ahead of this.
1: Yes, 100 percent. And I saw that Ralph Goodale was actually on TV uh, last night and this morning saying, do you know what it takes to get rid of the monarchy? It's a whole constitutional effort. People are always saying, yeah, let's just get rid of it. But the people who scream the loudest, Scott, tend to know the least about actually what it takes to act to really do something and get down into the nuts and bolts. And often draw and often often
2: draw on the Caribbean as an example. But I understand it's quite different with that.
1: It it might be, and I'm not. You know, I don't know enough. Yeah, constitutional people, but, expert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Constitutional wise, yes. And it's also a much smaller country, and we and we are not. So I think that people have to take a step back, realize what goes into that, and I think it was smart for Trudeau to get out ahead of it and say, and just sort of cut that narrative off at its knees and saying we're not going to do it. Not a priority next.
2: Your thoughts on this all doing full circle? We got about a minute left.
1: Um, th- my thoughts on.
2: Funeral, how it's all ended today.
1: Oh, you know what? I think that um, people needed closure and the amount and, and the number of people that were in the streets, there were millions of people um, just to see the hearse go by. I think the people of England and many people around the world needed the closure. I think it's, you know, extremely sad for, you know, people are, are uh, you know, really uh, remorseful. And if you look on your, your Instagram feed or any feed you have right now, every other picture is some sort of outtake of uh, sympathy or showing, you know, the grief of people right now. I'm looking at a picture of little Charlotte um, who was crying because it was her great grandmother. So I think that, you know, operation London bridge, quite honestly, was a success. Everything happened in the order that it should have happened. It was uh, a case study in appropriate communications rollout. Hmm. And um, now's the time to move on and to see how the new regime will act.
2: Alyssa Freeman, PR and pop culture expert, Alyssa PR, as always, Alyssa, thank you for the time. Be well, get some rest.
1: Oh, I will. I will.
2: (laughs) All right.
0: If Scott Thompson isn't satisfied with an answer, he'll delve
1: into the issue until he is.
0: You're listening to Hamilton Today with Scott Thompson. On Hamilton's News, today's talk. 900 CHML.
2: All right. Uh, We had it right the first time. Then we (laughs) backtracked. Because we thought, oh, this couldn't have happened. And then, of course, yeah, in, in fact, it did happen. All right. Uh, many people talking about the Queen's funeral and lots of different angles. The one fascinating issue is there are world leaders there from all over, and they are there to pay tribute to the Queen. But also uh backdoor meetings conversations and such about what is going on in the world whether it's the economy whether it's inflation whether it's the russian invasion of ukraine this has become a sort of unofficial funeral summit let's bring in dr uh, dr jack cunningham program coordinator at the bill uh, graham center for contemporary international history trinity college and the monk school uh, at the university of toronto and with us now jack thank you for the time i hope you're well
3: i am well scott good to be with you again
2: so all of these world leaders in one spot, a lot of people talking about security and keeping them all protected, but what does go on behind the scenes, the cocktail parties, the what have you, the informal gatherings? Does this become an informal summit of sort?
3: In some ways it does. I mean some years back the uh, the classic British sitcom Yes Prime Minister had an episode revolving around something called a working funeral. This is sort of a working funeral. And uh, a lot of what happens will be, uh, what what, uh, what happens at the event will take place in the bilateral meetings that the various leaders will have with uh, with one another. The so-called asides. and there are at least uh, two things that are uh, are likely to be discussed. One is the fact that the situation in Ukraine seems to be entering a new phase. Ukraine has regained a lot of territory. It's put Russia at least temporarily on the defensive. And the question go, goes out, uh, where do we go from here? There's also the fact that many of the world leaders there will have had little or no contact with the new British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, who's just been in office a few days, and they'll want to uh, size her up, see where uh, where she uh, may, may differ from her uh, predecessor, where she may follow the same lines of policy, and get some sense of where the UK is likely to go under her leadership.
2: So are how formal or informal are these? Is there agenda is there an agenda? Are you know we're all going, so who can we meet with? This is all planned ahead of time, or is this more casual?
3: It 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 can be pretty casual and often there is no fixed agenda. It's simply a case of responding to events as they break.
2: So uh, you said, uh, obviously, the Russian invasion of Ukraine and how things have changed there. uh, That's one discussion. Give us an idea of other things that they may discuss and how prominent these issues are.
3: Well, they may also discuss the situation around uh, China and Taiwan, which is looking increasingly tense, and uh, the fact that uh, Australia and New Zealand are there, uh, and uh, that uh, That they're represented may make uh, make it more likely uh, than not that this will be discussed as well as another potential flashpoint in the globe
2: so with this changing of the guard after 70 years on the reign and and we all we all know that this is about democracy as well but there is some silent uh, influence there with this changing of the guard how does this change things in the world moving over uh, moving forward how does this change the tone moving forward
3: Well, the uh, the queen came from a different generation than her uh, her successor, and that'll be obvious. Uh, He is perhaps by temperament and background a bit more of an individualist and a a bit less restrained by by instinct than she was. And uh, some years back, the uh, the British historian Tristram Hunt had a magazine article that speculated that Charles could. could be the the source of a fair bit of difficulty when he succeeded to the throne because of his tendency to uh, to be fairly opinionated and not be as shy as royals traditionally are about uh, about voicing his opinions
2: so is this we were talking about this informal summit is this about leaders talking to each other or is this more about is it more about the leaders talking to each other or more about getting an ear with the king
3: I think it's more about them uh, talking to each other. The, uh, the The British monarchy is of primarily ceremonial importance. If that, to most of those who are gathered, uh, they're gathered there in tribute to an individual. Even those uh, those those countries that are part of the Commonwealth and have the king as sovereign are not uh, are not uh, are not having a uh, a direct policy making role by uh, by the king. So. There will be relative, there's relatively little scope, I suspect, for policy heavy discussions on that front. It's going to be more sounding each other out, seeing what uh, what uh, this leader thinks about the current world situation, what this leader thinks is likely to, to develop in this particular global flashpoint, and how, uh, how we ought to respond.
2: How will China or Russia react? And Russia react to this? And the world attention this has received, and the fact that all these letters, leaders are together and perhaps chatting informally. How, how does China and Russia react?
3: Ah, uh, probably with some degree of suspicion, some degree of skepticism. They are un- neither is likely to welcome the idea that uh, that all of their potential rivals are are gathering in the same city
2: are we likely to see any change in the world or the world order as a result of this like i said the tone changing
3: uh the tone changes but again the uh, the monarchy is a ceremonial institution yeah. its uh, it's effect on the policy of even uh, even great britain is likely to be pretty pretty modest although the, uh, the king does constitutionally have the uh, the right to uh, to be to to consult, to warn, and to advise the uh, the prime minister. I, I, I suspect Charles will not be shy about doing that, uh, but uh, that is uh, that is a matter for uh, for him and Prime Minister Trust to try to negotiate. I suspect for others it will be of relatively marginal significance.
2: Dr. Jack Cunningham with us, program coordinator, Bill Graham Center for Contemporary International History in Trinity uh, Trinity College and the Monk School as well, uh, or sorry, all part of University of Toronto, talking about the informal meetings that go on when the leadership gathers at a funeral such as this. Jack, thank you for the time. Be well.
3: You too, Scott. Take care. You're listening to
0: the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
2: All right, let's bring in Eric Hamm, Professor of Economics, uh, Toronto Metropolitan University, and talk about the monarchy and the costs, and should we have it off as a result. Eric, how are you? I hope you're doing well.
9: I'm doing well, and my heart has settled down since you told me the Queen had passed away on Friday.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, so we talked then about how much the monarchy costs, and is it worth it, bang for the buck. You said for the UK it was, for everybody else not so much, because we don't get the bang out of it. Um, but let me ask you another question. The discussion to give people the day off for a holiday, uh, there's been lots of uh, both for and against this right the way across the country. The East Coast made it a uh, full stat, in the middle not so much. Uh, in BC I believe they let the kids out, then they're getting held for that, because the funerals in the middle of the night, and they could be talking about it in school. What does it cost us to give us the day off every time we talk about a new holiday? And believe me, there's not enough of them for me. But how how much does it cost to get a family day, or a Queen Elizabeth day, or an Eric Ham day?
9: Now, no one has ever proposed the last one. That's that's for <laughs> sure. But you know, the answer can be the answer can be close to a billion dollars in a day if you attack the economy from the wrong angle i mean people can complain about doug ford and say he's made some mistakes and every politician's made mistakes but i think doug ford and the conservative government did exactly the right thing i think that when you think of the battering and the whooping that our economy has gone through since the onset of the pandemic what is the use of shutting it down one more day when you think of the lost wages and the lost production the lost efficiency the loss of everything it starts to add up into the eights and nines digits of dollars and there's really no sense to do it as you said on one side of the country it's the middle of the night the other side of the country it's the middle of the day but if you truly believe that people kids especially are going to sit home and watch tv and mourn the loss of the monarch well that's fine but I mean, think of the cost of this if it does creep up into the hundreds of millions of dollars. And I heard today somebody ridiculously say, well, uh, they actually mentioned me. And they said, I go on the Roy Green show and say that that there was too much money printed and spent during the pandemic. Well, wouldn't this be a good way to slow it down? That's an idiotic argument. That's like <laughs> saying if somebody is on medication, Uh, or drug addicted, do we just cut them off cold turkey? And all my cousins who are real doctors will tell you that you can't do that. People have to be weaned off things. And so the Bank of Canada is trying to find the appropriate level of spending and cutting it out for one day and dropping it down to practically zero. Dumb idea, and I'm proud of the government for saying no way.
2: Who does it cost when we have these holidays? Because we hear about small business and such. Who does end up picking up the tab?
9: Well, that's exactly right. It's it's exactly small businesses and the service industry and the mom and pop stores and people like that. And so it just goes into another day where there's no money in a till. That means no money into the government till because remember, they pay the treasury out of those receipts. And so the more money that you pull out of government, you erode from the tax base and that money has to come from somewhere and that's taxes. So For those people that want to salute the flag and say that they're really sad that the monarch and the sovereign has passed away, I join you. But you know what? Have your moment when you're at work knowing that you're helping to solidify uh, Her Majesty's economy. Staying home does nothing but erode a tax base and increase taxes. So if you love the Queen enough to watch your tax bill go up, I really don't know how to help you.
2: So uh, we we know that the monarchy is largely symbolic. Uh, we also know that coming through world events, whether it's a global pandemic, it does change things. Does this change... Uh, well, let's use the pandemic again as an example. You know, when the first when we were first heard that we were getting out, everybody thought it was going to be the roaring 20s. and then it was various variations and, and now instead of everybody spending, everybody's pulling back because of inflation and stuff. Does the changing of a monarchy influence the economy of the UK in any way?
9: Um, well, it will change the economy of the UK. Uh, But it's not just the changing of the monarchy. It's all the positive externalities that go along with it in that they were estimating between 750,000 and a million people jamming the streets of London. Well, those people have to eat and drink, drink especially, and stay in hotels and do all of the things that people do when they're celebrating the life of somebody. And thanks to the money multiplier effects that we're not getting in places like Canada, um, they're going to see a real boom in their expenditures and we don't have it so really that's a long-winded way of getting around your question because i don't have a specific answer but i know that there's nothing to be gained scott by shutting down an economy for a full day there's just all you're doing is asking for people's taxes to go up in the long run
2: uh obviously uh, we live in a very divisive world and now i'm getting away from economics eric but we live in a very uh, divisive world uh during the height of the pandemic we're banging pots and pans at the beginning and loving everyone then we're hating everyone does the changing of the monarchy change an attitude and therefore change our habits does it, it will this do anything as far as i guess uniting us
9: i think you've got half of that correct I think that, that from, from Victoria to Nova Scotia, I think losing the monarch, losing the sovereign does bring the country together in a way that frankly, only hockey does otherwise. I mean, hmm. you, put a, you put a good Canada, team Canada on the ice and it's the same sort of thing. It's a big collective hub, but does it change behavior? Does it change consumption? Does it change investment? I would absolutely be shocked, but on a behavioral level, it's nice to see the country pulling in the same direction. You and I know we've been around long enough; it happens
2: rarely. Eric Cam with us, professor economics, Toronto Metropolitan University, on the economics of the Queen. Eric, as always, thanks for the time. Be well. Stay
9: healthy, my friend.
2: All right, uh, the uh, the funeral for the Queen has come and gone. Things are slowly getting back to normal uh, in the United Kingdom. Today in Ottawa, also a uh, a uh, memorial along with the military parade uh, getting underway just after, I guess, around noon, and then uh, heading to Cathedral Church in uh, Christ Cathedral in Ottawa, where about an hour service was held, and then uh, dispersed from there. To talk more about all of this and the day and the ten days it has been, let's uh, I bring in Michael Tobe, columnist for Troy Media and Looney Politics, contributor to the National Post and Washington Times, and was a speechwriter for former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. With us now, Michael, thank you for the time. I hope you're well.
4: I am, Scott. Hope you are, too.
2: Thank you so much. Your thoughts on how this all ended up after 10 days, uh, a lot of leaders, uh, a lot of pomp and circumstance. Many are even talking about, and you might be able to speak to this too, Michael, the sort of uh, sidebar conversations, the informal gatherings as all of these leaders end up in one place, almost like an informal funeral summit of sort.
4: Yeah, in certain ways it is. Well, when you have five hundred different world leaders and dignitaries sitting in one spot, it means that you'd obviously don't have to create private, separate meetings. Some of these discussions can actually be held quietly as they're walking the grounds, leaving the whole, you know, leaving the cathedrals, etc. There are ways to get to pass little conversations in here and there. It's not quite the same as having a bilateral or obviously a private meeting of twenty to thirty minutes. But yes, I mean, there are certain things that you can do in a situation like that because it's so unusual to have so many world leaders at one event at one time. And the event itself, I mean, obviously it's been said multiple times over and there's nothing that I can certainly add to it that's more brilliant than what's been said before, except for the fact that it was just a fascinating 10 days. It was a a magnificent celebration of life, you know, of, of a woman who... Uh, Queen Elizabeth II, who spent more than 70 years on the throne. You know, a true champion of public service, honor, and dignity. You know, she saw enormous moments of history pass her by, and she was involved in many important moments of history as well. You know, images of her, and you you could spend the rest of this conversation just talking about that, from, you know, images that we remember during World War II the bombing of britain where her she and the royal family then at that time king george the sixth her father was still leading where they came out and spoke to the british people gave them comfort provide them with comfort which was an extremely important moment obviously in british history not you know not taking away from anything that sir winston churchill and others did at that time as well but it was an incredible moment that many people remember where the royal family basically dealt specifically with the common person, which at that time was extremely unusual. But again, you know, Elizabeth, uh, throughout her entire reign, always tried to, in many ways, get past certain hurdles and do certain things. She obviously believed in protocol. She believed in honor. She believed in tradition. But she was always willing to meet with different people. And from all that we know and all that's been gathered about her, She was a fascinating person overall. You know, she didn't go to university or college, but was extremely well-educated behind the scenes from proper academics, the Archbishop of Canterbury, and others. She apparently was a very bright woman and was very engaged in conversations. This nonsense you used to hear decades ago that she, like other members of the royal family, were disengaged from things, she was actually quite engaged and asked questions, wanted to learn things, wanted to understand things, and spoke directly to world leaders, from my old friend and boss Stephen Harper to others, and, asked, you know, and had pertinent, comfortable, interesting, and intellectual conversations with them that they well remember. And she was just an important and incredible figurehead for the country. You know, she was really, truly the model of the royal family, to a point that when all the transgressions and controversies of other members of the royal family were happening around her, she and her husband, the late Prince Philip, were able to withstand a lot of it by basically stating that they were the last true, powerful lineage of a royal family that, and you know, has obviously survived for centuries, and even though she becoming queen was an accent of history, much like her father, King George VI, was, had um, King Edward VIII not abdicated in 1936, mm. none of this would have actually happened. Look what we got by this accent of history occurring an important, powerful, memorable, and well-respected woman sitting on the British throne... For more than 70 years.
2: Interesting point. Uh, so lots of chatter. We've only got a few seconds left here. Lots of chatter about uh, debating the monarchy, its relevance, all that sort of thing, especially with Canada and the other Commonwealth countries. Prime Minister spoke out and said, you know what, we're not having this discussion. We got bigger fish to fry. And frankly, in order to get this done, it's a mammoth undertaking requiring yeah. uh, unanimous consent of so many people. In other words, good luck with that. Uh, Your your thoughts on him getting that out in front and and getting ahead of that story? It's not
4: often I say it, but he's absolutely right. Justin Trudeau made the right decision, the right call, and the right statement at that point. It's not because Justin Trudeau is this great vision of a monarchist. He's not, but he recognizes, one, that it's an impossible task, and secondly, to be perfectly honest, it's a task he may not want to be involved in. You know, Whether you're a liberal, a conservative, or otherwise, You don't have to be a monarchist. As I said before to you, Scott, I'm not a monarchist myself. I just believe in the the history, tradition, the lineage that we have to the British Empire and wish to preserve it. A lot of Canadian leaders and a lot of Canadian figures have either reached that conclusion, come to reach that conclusion, or in certain cases are far beyond that, where they really truly believe that a constitutional monarchy would be the best thing for Canada, which is a different debate in itself. But no, I think Justin Trudeau very briefly did the right thing, He put the debate to an end, and the fact that others have this frustration with the way that the monarchy exists, the amount of wealth that it has, the amount of power that it has, and the fact that its role is very different now than it was centuries ago, there's no disputing that. But again, I think that it's always played an important role in Canada, it's played an important role in the Commonwealth, which we are a part of, we're one of 15 Commonwealth states. And it plays an important role in our society, the history and traditions that we have in this society that most prime ministers have obviously honoured, and in moments when they didn't, Stephen Harper, for example, brought lots of representation back to the Royal Navy and other things, bringing back the royal family, the monarchy, or Queen Elizabeth II. Justin Trudeau has maintained them. If you notice, that's the the one thing I will certainly say about him. He has Mm. not touched that very much. And there obviously are reasons for it, because... Even behind the scenes, maybe he doesn't feel too dissimilar to my old friend and boss, who was not much of a monarchist himself, but often said that his meetings with Queen Elizabeth II were very important. And most importantly, it gave him some time to consider the fact of what life would be in Canada without a monarchy. And as he he said, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, it scared him to the point that he had no interest in that. Maybe Justin Trudeau and Stephen Harper actually do see eye to eye on that particular issue, believe it or not.
2: Michael Tobe, columnist for Troy Media, Looney Politics, National Post, Washington Times, and former speechwriter for or speechwriter for former Prime Minister Stephen Harper. Michael, as always, thank you for the time. Be well. My pleasure. You too.
0: You're listening to the Hamilton Today podcast from 900 CHML.
2: Ten days of mourning now winding down as uh, obviously the Queen's funeral earlier this morning and Ottawa as well paying tribute uh, this afternoon with their own uh, memorial. Let's bring in Redmond Shannon, Europe correspondent for Global News, and he is with us now. Redmond, thank you for the time. Busy day. I'm sure you're tired, but thanks for taking the time. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. Much appreciated. So, uh, obviously, you've been watching this for its entire duration. What, is, what are the feelings now? What, I mean, we've heard the, uh, the expression, a collective sigh of relief. What's it like now? What's the mood like there now? Um,
5: well, I suppose it's probably a bit of a release, a release here because people have been looking forward to this in the sort of neutral sense of it, looking towards it happening for the last 10 days. It has now happened uh, central London is now already tearing down the enormous uh, infrastructure that was put in place over that period to deal with what happened today and what happened over the last few days. Traffic lights are being put back in place. Scaffolding and uh, um, cameras and barriers are being taken down. Um, you know, Traffic lights being put back up in place around Westminster. Mm. So it's a sense of getting back to normal. Um, But definitely, uh, you know, a huge portion of this country um, and indeed a huge portion of many countries, including Canada, you know, gripped by this, uh, the events of today, whether people be royalist or not. um, I think a lot of people were uh, were just uh, felt they had to tune in and watch it or go there to try and catch a glimpse in person.
2: Uh, Obviously, with all the leaders and dignitaries meeting from around the world there in the UK, uh, security a a great concern. Was there any issues at all, Redmond? It looks like this whole thing went off without a hitch.
5: That was one of the things that jumped out to me, Scott. The the complexity of this, having walked around Westminster to see the barriers that were put in place. I mean, at uh, 6 a.m. this morning, I was uh, using public transit to get to the Global News Life position that we had put in place beside Westminster Abbey. Uh, There was a point where I thought I wasn't going to get through because it was like going through a corn maze uh, to Mm. try and find the right way of intersections that were becoming blocked by half hour every 10 minutes. It was fewer options and the crowds were enormous before dawn even broke. It was phenomenal then to see to, you know, uh, The leaders of uh, almost 200 countries, 500 dignitaries from across the world being brought in under security uh, each to the minute on time. Not one incident. I saw mm. a video of Biden's beast car getting um, stuck in traffic for 20 seconds at one point, and he was waving at people. That is it. That's all I saw. The planning that has gone into this over years, over decades has been phenomenal, and it went off without a hitch. It was absolutely for me the most impressive part of this um, just from a, from a, you know standing back and, and looking at what ha- what's happened over the last ten days.
2: So many different angles to this story, Redman And we were talking earlier about uh, obviously with all of those dignitaries and leaders from all over the world coming in, it's a chance for them to get together to get some informal time. Perhaps not necessarily on inge- uh, on agendas, but it, it, there, there's chatter going on. It, was there much uh, play? At, it, was there much at play there with leaders chatting or meeting informally or having little sidebar meetings around this event? Many many called this a working funeral?
5: I think so. I mean, it's it's one of these opportunities. Like, think about our own families. We, we often bemoan the fact that the mm. only time you get to see our cousins and our distant relatives are when, unfortunately, someone dies or maybe someone gets married. Yeah. And this is no different for world leaders. This is a chance outside of a G20 or a major summit like that or a G7 for leaders to, to meet. And they're going to take advantage of that. And there were various... Uh, summits held. You can see that uh, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau hosted um, Ukrainian um, uh, politicians in Canada House here in London. He went to see the new Prime Minister Liz Truss at 10 Downing Street, um, discussing the ongoing negotiations over the the, uh, UK-Canada free trade agreement after Brexit. And the same is true of uh, countless combinations of leaders. So absolutely, there will be progress made on some issues but um, we don't know what that progress is as yet but maybe in, in weeks to come or months to come we might find out that a crucial meeting was held over these days
2: so we uh, are hearing uh, more stories about a social media video that is uh, appearing at first it was supposedly in london and then there were rumors that it actually happened in quebec before they left and now we're getting re uh, confirmation that in fact it was uh, the prime minister in a london hotel a hotel lobby piano thing and started Queenie, singing queen's bohemian rhapsody is this any accuracy to this story is that getting played there
5: well, um, I did do some, I, ch- I saw it this morning, <laughs> um, and uh, like a lot of people did, and I was intrigued because uh, the, it was being retweeted by someone who perhaps shall we say, who, and getting lots of retweets from, from an account that, well, let's shall we say, isn't a fan of Trudeau, so always be skeptical about that. But yeah, everything checks out. Gregory Charles is there on piano. Gregory Charles is, uh, is part of the delegation, uh, the piano bar from every angle. In that video is the piano bar of the Corinthia Hotel in London, so it almost certainly is from this trip, um, and there seems to be little doubt at this point that it is. As to exactly when it happened, we're not sure, but um, uh, it's getting a little bit of pickup here in the UK too. British tabloid, The Daily Mail, never the classiest of outlets, but uh, it uh, <laughs> went to, went to town on Trudeau for being disrespectful toward the Queen. Um, for singing that um, in the lead up to the funeral but uh, it's probably not getting a huge amount of attention because I think people are more consumed with the broader aspect of the funeral itself.
2: Uh, Did anybody of any... uh, Do we know who saw this other than the person who in the few in the hotel that uh, filmed it?
5: No, from from the cursory glance I gave to things this morning uh, it was unclear who filmed this and who exactly saw it so... Uh, I don't know that at this point, and I'm sure there are people digging into that as we speak, and it will come out perhaps in tomorrow's newspapers or <laughs> overnight. Who knows? <laughs> so, what,
2: so what do you think is, Rebnan, what do you think the mood's going to be like for the next week? Because there's been lots of debates here about the, uh, you know, uh, the relevancy of the, of the monarchy and such. What do you, does this change the attitude, the tone of the U.K. moving forward? We're obviously living in a divisive society. Does this unite people? It has done
5: definitely for the last ten days. Um, I, I found that even on the streets, Scott. One thing, there have been a lot of crushes uh, in, of, of of humanity around the central central London, and you often find when that happens, you know, and there are people trying to get here, there, and everywhere, and try to get at lips of a royals and VIPs. That people get angry and frustrated. People were so pleasant. Everybody was in such a good mood. The the famous queue, the line up that went along the river. People were so pleasant about it. It was so orderly. I think there was a coming together. But that is going to go away. And when the dust settles and Charles becomes king and people get comfortable with him being king, perhaps uh, who knows what that means for the royalty. We know that Jamaica is probably at the forefront as the next potential Commonwealth realm that wants to leave. New Zealand's Prime Minister told the BBC this weekend that she... Sees New Zealand's future outside, perhaps, of the uh, of being part of the, um, the Commonwealth realm as well. So, um, whether Charles can "quote unquote" rescue that, well, we'll we'll find out
2: in the coming years, I suppose. Redmond Shannon, with his Europe correspondent for Global News, make sure you're watching Global Fort. more on all of this tonight. Redmond, thanks so much for the time, greatly appreciated. Get some rest. Thanks very much Scott have a good day bye lots of uh, angles of the queen's funeral story today and the 10 dar- uh, 10 days of uh, memorialization but also uh, a very important uh, angle of this story is the indigenous community and what happens moving forward with this discussion here's an interesting uh, I want to play this interesting clip with uh, uh, Mercedes Stevenson a Global News of the West Block with the Governor General on the mar- on the monarchy and truth and reconciliation moving forward.
1: There are very few people alive today who remember a time before the Queen. She is the only Queen that most of us have ever known, um, and we don't remember what happens when she dies. I know you're going to London for her funeral. Can you tell us a little bit about what the role of the Governor General is at the funeral and and what you're going to be doing in London?
10: I'll be um, participating in some events. Um, There will be a session with uh, King Charles III, with the Governors General of the Commonwealth. And uh, also, there will be other events where we can um, perhaps get together and just uh, talk about the legacy that Her Majesty has left behind for us to, to, to learn from, uh, continue, our, continue our learning from her o- own experience. And these are really like, I think, important events leading up to the funeral. Uh, At the funeral, I'll be representing uh, Canadians in my capacity as governor general. And I will also uh, be able to talk to the king about the condolence that we have, we are conveying to him and his family. And I think that's the kind of thing that I'll be doing. Um, The biggest part of what I've been doing since the, the death of of Queen Elizabeth is here in Canada. Uh, We had to have a cabinet meeting and proclaim the king, King uh, Charles III. And uh, also we've had um, different events happening here. We had the condolence book and a lot of Canadians have have come here to sign the condolence book and and leave flowers and notes and uh, The kind of thing you see that's happening in London is also happening here. And I know that other governors, uh, lieutenant governors of the provinces have also uh, been doing different events uh, to honor and remember the late Queen uh, Elizabeth. Uh, So these are things that, that we don't normally do, and it's something that's never really been done since we've all been on this earth. It was some 70 years ago that it happened when Queen Elizabeth became queen. Uh, so it's a new experience for all of us and, and to carry the, the responsibility of making sure that things are going smoothly in terms of the, of the evolution of who, you know, that the king is taking over the role of, of, the, of the late queen. And these are things that we really have to talk about within our own organizations and I think, um, we're, we've done okay. I think we've done quite well in terms of making sure things are going smoothly.
1: You recently spent time with King Charles. What is he like?
10: I think. I mean, I think he's very different from his mother. But I think, as he said, he's going to carry on the legacy and the commitment that his mother has has made throughout her life. Uh, the, you know, the commitment to service and to represent. Uh, People in a way that is that is bringing different cultures and, and people together. I think this is something that he is committed to. And I, when I was when he was here, um, we had a lot of opportunity to talk about indigenous issues. And he's very committed to reconciliation yeah. and finding you know ways forward to to build this renewed relationship. That
2: All right, there you have it, uh, an excerpt of an interview from the West Block with Mercedes Stevenson and the uh, Governor General on her uh, upcoming visit, uh, obviously before the actual funeral, and what the role will be, and most importantly, truth and reconciliation. Uh, is that a priority for King Charles and the Governor General hoping, and from all intents and purposes, hopefully the uh, the, the tradition that the Queen has brought to this uh, and the emphasis of change and moving forward and evolving uh, will also uh, be on the agenda for the King as well.
0: Thanks for listening to the Hamilton Today podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday afternoons from 3 to 6 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com.
2: All right, that's it for us. Thanks for listening. As always, greatly appreciated. Thanks to the two Wills and Diana in the newsroom. As always, we leave it to you, the taxpaying customer, to have the last word.
7: This uh, final word is in regards to the uh, the holiday on Monday for federal employees. I can't help but say to myself... Another benefit for the government class, um, while the rest of us, well, many, um, you know, tough it out in the trenches. And may the great Queen
8: Elizabeth rest in
7: peace.